Shalom and welcome KKCJ family. So happy to have you back with us today. What a special day it is, the resurrection of the Lord. Uh, for many of us in Israel, we celebrated the resurrection of the Lord on first fruits, Yom Habikorim, just a few days ago. But for everyone else, also, uh, you know, worshiping the Lord, thanking him, praising him and celebrating his resurrection from the dead on this special Sunday. We're so happy you're with us as well because our theme today is going to be the first fruits and resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah in a sermon I've entitled Truth and Optics. So let me just welcome everybody watching from home, watching online, those of you in Jerusalem, those of you watching all around the world on King's Community Live, Facebook Live, YouTube Live. We're so happy you're with us here in Israel today. Some of you may have even seen our earlier sunrise service from the Garden Tomb. And if you did, that was a wonderful time. I'm sure the Lord blessed you. Welcome back uh, to our KKCJ uh, Sunday evening service, which is in Jerusalem. I want to say Chag Pesach Sameach, Happy Passover, Happy Unleavened Bread, Happy First Fruits to everyone on this full holiday week. We've been eating unleavened bread. We've been introspective about what the Lord is doing in our heart and cleansing us from sin. And, and now we're looking at the specific and powerful message of the resurrection of Yeshua, our Lord. Now, you might say, uh, Pastor Chad, aren't you you giving the sermon a little earlier than you might normally give the sermon? Well, I'm glad you caught that because uh, we are going to take the Lord's Supper. We call it in Hebrew, Seudat Hadon. We're going to take that after the sermon today because I believe our sermon and the journey we're going to take in Scripture is going to lead us very well to a heart place to take the elements together today. Thank you, worship team, for all you've done for us today, leading us. I know you had a big day, uh, lots of different worship aspects during the holiday season, so thank you so much. And uh, all of those that put the service together, we bless you. And those that are in the sanctuary, great to see you guys. Blessings to you. Can't wait till everybody can get back in the house together. Listen, as the regulations change, we'll keep you posted. Right now, they're still kind of the same. 20 to a room is the maximum, unless you've been vaccinated, you have that green passport a little bit more, but you're still watching on a screen. So when the regulations change, we will let you know. Stay posted with us. Make sure you're on our newsletter or you're checking our social media or websites for that. And one other thing I want to mention before we dive into the scriptures is that after Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, we are then commanded to start counting 50 days until the next holiday of the Lord, which is the Feast of Weeks called Shavuot. So today is the eighth day of that counting procedure. So what we want to say today is, Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kidshanu Bechazdo V'tzivanu Al Sifrat HaOmer, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by his grace and commands us to count the Omer. And today, Yom Yom Shmone. It's the eighth day of the counting of the Omer. Please count with us. Let's obey the Lord. We trust him that there is a great blessing as we come to the fourth holiday of the year, which is going to be the Feast of Weeks in just 42 more days. Count with us. Now, listen, let's turn our attention to the word of God today. And again, prepare your elements because we're leading into the Lord's Supper. And Pastor Mike is going to help us do that in just a few minutes. Grab your Bibles, grab your devices. Today, we're going to focus on Matthew chapter 26 and 27. That's the main text today. Now, as a little background, 
We know that when Yeshua, our Messiah, was on earth, he lived a very Messianic Jewish life, very expressive in his observance of Jewish life and culture. He was a faithful Jew, if you would like to use that term. He also comes from a very devout and faithful Jewish family. It says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, that his father, Yosef, or Joseph, was devout and a faithful Jew to the law. So Yeshua expressed this all the time, keeping the Sabbath, keeping the feasts and festivals, always quoting from the scripture about the, what the law was, what the law truly meant, keeping kosher laws and, and, and being in the temple and not being afraid to pay temple taxes and, and all of these things that he did, always in the synagogue, reading from the parasha. All of these things prove that he was a faithful Jewish uh, man to the culture of his time because he also came from a faithful and devout Jewish family. So you wonder why so much of the anger rose up against him. Why so much poison from the religious leaders? And it starts very early in the gospel account. As far back as Matthew chapter 12, which is uh, where we first see this poison being released. Matthew 12, 14, it says, but the Pharisees went out and they plotted how they might kill Yeshua. This is way back in Matthew 12, several years before we get to the final moments of his life and the, and the sacrifice of the Lord. So, you know, what is going on, the poison, the growth of, of hatred and wanting him to die? And, and a matter of fact, this Matthew chapter 12, a verse that I read you about how the Pharisees plotted how they might kill Yeshua. You might wonder, what's the context? It happened right after he healed somebody. Go back and read the scripture. It says, after he healed them, then the Pharisees, in their anger, in their jealousy, they wanted to plot how to kill him. Interesting that that's the context of the anger. So now we understand that the plot has happened many years before. The anger, the poison has been going on. It's been festering a long time. And we fast forward to the last Passover Seder that Yeshua had with his disciples. Now we know from last week's teaching that he had the Passover meal with the disciples just prior to the actual Passover night because that's when you would eat it with your families. He was arrested that night. Let me read a few verses to continue the journey so we all understand the context. Matthew 26, these will be the main text today. Matthew 26, starting in verse 57. Those who had arrested Yeshua took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and he sat down and the guards uh, to see the outcome. He wants to see the outcome of the trial. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Yeshua so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Though many false witnesses came forward, finally, two came forward and declared, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. So what's the story? They have the Passover meal. They sing songs of praise as the fourth cup, the cup of praise. They go out to, to the garden and they begin to pray. The, the disciples have fallen asleep a couple of times. Finally, Judas has led the the soldiers to him, they're going to arrest him. He's the betrayer. Yeshua had predicted his betrayal. So they arrest Yeshua and in the middle of the night, remember the Seder was a dinner. So we know that it's a long dinner. 
Then they went to the garden and prayed, and then he was arrested. So we are well into the night at, by this point. So during the night, when no people are around, when they don't have time to get the crowds, uh, they don't have time to let the word spread, everybody's sleeping, they're going to do this false and fake trial. And at the false and fake trial, they look for evidence. Of course, they don't find any evidence. So no, ma- no matter, doesn't, ma- doesn't matter about true evidence. We'll, we'll settle for false evidence. Anybody have false evidence? And they couldn't even find false evidence. So they started to call witnesses. No witnesses. So then they're like, well, let's find false witnesses. So these two false witnesses come forward and they say, well, we heard him say this phrase. We don't know exactly what the phrase meant, but it had something to do with destroying the temple. So let's use that. I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And they decide that that's what they're going to latch on to. That's what they're going to attack Yeshua for. So they had looked for evidence, didn't find any, looked for false evidence, didn't find any, looked for true eyewitnesses, didn't find any. They come up with two false witnesses and they quote him out of context by this time. And this becomes the trigger that they're going to use to take him to a further trial with the governor Pilate. Now, we're going to build a case here today and let you understand what's really going on in the background. So we know that Yeshua is going to die in this story as the Passover lamb in the Passover season. That's why John said, that's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He didn't, he didn't relate him with Yom Kippur at that moment. That would have been the goats. He related him with Passover. That would be the lamb. And his blood saves us from our sins and from death. So John identified him as such. We know that not only was he the Passover lamb at Passover, but during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, like we've celebrated this week, he was laid in the tomb. And when we are supposed to be looking at taking sin out of our life, Yeshua was in the grave taking away the sin of the world. Well, we're also supposed to understand that while he was in the grave, he was preparing to rise. And of course, we believe that he rose on the festival, God-appointed festival of first fruits. But as we continue this story and we read in our main text, we're going to see more proof of the fake and false trial in the middle of the night. As a matter of fact, let me turn your attention to the next chapter. Let's focus on chapter 27 of Matthew for the next few minutes. Matthew chapter 27, verse 1. Early in the morning. No, it says early in the morning because I just took you through the Passover meal, the time in the garden, then the arrest, then the fake trial. So that's been going on all night long in the middle of the night. But early in the next morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Yeshua executed. Now, this started back in Matthew 12, and now we're in Matthew 27. They've been plotting this for years. They've been looking for something to accuse him of, and they haven't found it. They've even been looking for false things to accuse him of, and they couldn't even find those. So they had to twist words out of context, make a a fake trial in the middle of the night, take him to the governor Pilate. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Okay, so that's where we are. So he's innocent. They don't have proof. They're making up stuff at this point. Now they bring him to Pilate, but before they get to Pilate, look what happens in verse three and four, still in Matthew 27. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Yeshua was condemned, he was seized with remorse 
And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and to the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So let's just continue to put the puzzle pieces together. There's no true evidence against him. There's not even false evidence. There's no true witnesses. There are only two false witnesses. They use a quote, but it's out of context. It's misquoted, but that's going to be the trigger. They're going to take him to Pilate, a false false and fake trial. They take him to Pilate, but now we see that even his betrayer, even Judas, acknowledges that he was wrong, that Yeshua was innocent of any charge. So now Pilate has him. We're still in Matthew 27, verse 17. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one of these do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Yeshua, who was called the Messiah? For Pilate knew it was out of selfish interest that they had handed Yeshua over to him. Wow. So not only did the betrayer know he was innocent, now the governor leading the trial also knows he's innocent and also knows the selfish motive of the accusers. So Pilate now knows he's innocent. Next verse, Matthew 27, verse 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. So now even the wife of the governor knows that Yeshua is innocent and proclaims so. Guys, it goes further. I know I'm building a case, but I've got more. Look at this. Matthew 27, verse 54. When the centurions and those with him who were guarding Yeshua saw the earthquake and all that had happened, this is at his death, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Okay, let's just recap. There are are no charges against him. There are not even any good false charges against him. There's no true witnesses. There's only two false witnesses. And they really don't have much to say other than a quote that's been taken out of context. He's before the Sanhedrin on a fake and false trial in the middle of the night. Then he's brought before Pilate early the next morning. Pilate finds him innocent as well and proclaims that. His wife has a dream and proclaims that Yeshua's innocent as well. And then the centurions... And the people around them that saw Yeshua on the cross and give up his spirit also know that he's innocent and they say he is the son of God. What an incredible case that no one in this entire story truly believes that he's done anything wrong. There's no one in the story, not even the religious leaders, not even the Sanhedrin. That's why they were looking for false information and false witnesses because they themselves deep down knew He was innocent. The governor, his wife, the centurion, the crowd, the witnesses, all of them knew that Yeshua was innocent. So why all of the poison? Why all of the hatred? Why all of the the agenda to push toward the death of Yeshua in such a gruesome way as taking him to the execution tree or to the cross? Well, We do know that Yeshua was arrested at night. He was tried by the Sanhedrin in the middle of the night, brought to the governor early in the morning, as the scripture stated. He was hung on the tree by noon, by noon the next day. 
Look at Matthew 27, verse 45. It says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all of the land. And it had come over the land because Yeshua gave up his spirit by noon. So one night he's eating the Seder meal with his disciples. And then on the Passover, actual arrival of the Passover day, just before the Sabbath hits, he's tried in the night before the governor early in the morning. He's on the cross by noon And then noon until three, darkness falls because he's given up his spirit. Look at how fast this has happened. It is remarkable how quickly things move from a meal with your disciples to prayer in the garden, to an arrest, to a false trial, to the governor, to death on the cross, to giving up his spirit. Less than 24 hours, all of it happened. Remarkable speed, not enough time to gather all of the disciples, not enough time to get the disciples from all over the country, not enough time to build a crowd of protest. But I think that was the plan to do it quickly and swiftly so that they did not face the crowd. Now, the plot does go deeper. As many of you know, if you have been a believer for a while, you've read through the whole Bible. Maybe if you're a new believer, maybe you don't know the end of the story, but this plot goes deeper. I'm going to go into Uh, Later into the chapter, Matthew 27, verse 62, because there's a great cover-up happening. Look Look what it says here, Matthew 27, 62. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they asked, we remember that while he was still alive, talking about Yeshua, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now, The chief priests and the Pharisees, who have already been trying to find guilt in Yeshua, they found nothing to prosecute him for. And now they're fearful that he may rise from the dead. But you have to ask yourself this important question. What are they so fearful of? They think the disciples are going to steal his body. But they post a guard, they, they, they close the tomb. It says, make it as secure as you know how. So put as many things in the way as you need, is what Pilate gives them permission to do. So what are they so scared of? Are they really scared that Yeshua will rise from the dead? Well, friends, that's exactly what I think they're scared of. Now, why would they be scared of that? Because that is really an outlandish claim that you can rise from the dead. Well, it may be that they were afraid that Yeshua would do exactly what he said he would do. Because that's what he had done all along. If Yeshua said, I'm going to feed these thousands of people, he would do it. If Yeshua said to a demon, come out, he would come out. If Yeshua said he would heal someone, he would heal someone. Yeshua had done everything he had ever said he was going to do. And now he's saying, I'm going to rise from the dead. They are fearful that his word is true. That's what they're afraid of. 
He had healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out demons. He had set the captives free. Not only did he do everything that he said he was going to do, he had done everything the prophets said he was going to do. He was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. He suffered. He was humble. He taught the people with authority. He healed them. He would die for the people. The prophets laid all of this out, and the religious leaders are not only afraid that his word will come true and he will do what he said he would do, they're afraid that the prophets' words would also come true. Now, they're afraid that he'll do it again, that he'll rise from the dead. Now, once Yeshua was in the grave for three days, we know that he was taking away the sin of the world. He defeats hell. He defeats death itself. He resurrects back to life as what we call the first fruits from the dead. And we use that terminology on the holiday of first fruits like this week because that's what the Apostle Paul used. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20. But Yeshua was indeed, has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So he's been in the grave. Now he's resurrected. Who does he meet? Who does he see? Well, he sees the two Miriams, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary is what it says, the two Miriams. He tells them to go tell the disciples that he's alive, that he did what he said. He rose from the dead, that he's alive. Go tell my disciples and I will meet them. And on their way to tell the disciples about what they've seen, they encounter something of a conspiracy. Matthew chapter 28. Now I'm in this chapter. Matthew 28, verse 11 through 15. It says, while the women, talking about the two Miriams now, while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. Now, when they says everything that had happened, of course, it's really talking about the resurrection of the dead by Yeshua. When the chief priest had met with those elders and devised the plan, there's a, a third term of devising a plan, devising a scheme, plotting against Yeshua, planning an execution. It happens over and over, all of these schemes and plans. It says, when the elders had devised the plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Now, that's what they had warned Pilate might happen, so they kind of set this up. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So we see the conspiracy now come full circle. They plotted, they planned, they schemed, they prepared Pilate for the story, they placed the guards, and when all of it really happened the way Yeshua said it was going to happen, he was going to rise from the dead, they had planned what to do. They were going to pay off the guards. They were going to lie again against this innocent Messiah. Now, what were they trying to do? They were trying to control the way things looked. They were trying to control what I call the optics. The optics of what the people could see the way things looked, or the way they wanted things to look. This is what the religious leaders are doing. That's why they did the trial illegally in the middle of the night. That's why they didn't have any evidence, but they moved forward anyway. That's why they, they set it all up and, and posted the guards, because they wanted to control the optics, and now they're lying again, paying off the guards. Now, guys, listen, we know that Satan 
is the father of lies. That he tries to control what people think by lying to them. Whereas God doesn't do that at all. God just tells you the truth and then steps back and allows his people to assess the truth and make a decision on what you want to do. Do you want to follow him? Do you not want to follow him? Do you want to love him and obey him? Or do you not? He sets the truth in front of you, steps back and lets you decide. Not Satan. Satan wants to control the optics. He wants to lie. He wants things to look a certain way. He wants you to think a certain way. He wants to be in control of thoughts and feelings. Satan is obviously working through the religious leaders to control these optics. Let me give you our key phrase today. Satan was afraid of what would happen if the people knew the difference between the one that causes death versus the one who defeated death. I'll read it again. I think that's powerful. Satan was afraid of what would happen if the people knew the difference between the one that causes death versus the one who defeated death. There was no one who actually thought Yeshua was guilty of any crime, including the religious leaders. We've made that point. Not Pilate, not his wife, not the Roman soldiers, none of them. Everyone knew he was innocent, but that didn't stop them from trying to control the optics and what the situation looked like versus revealing the truth. Because they didn't want the story to be true. If the story was true, they were going to lose their position. They were going to lose their power. They were going to lose their authority and their control on the people. 2 Corinthians verse 11, 14 and 15 reads this way. And no wonder... For Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. See, that's the optics. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So Satan controls the optics by being an angel of light, making something look a certain way, trying to make it look better than it is for his gain. And the religious leaders did exactly what this verse said. They masqueraded as servants of righteousness because they're under the influence of Satan himself. They're masquerading on all this false information, trying to call it, and quotes here, an act of righteousness to crucify the Lord Yeshua. This is what Satan is guilty of, trying to control the optics as the angel of light. Now, again, what were they so afraid of? Losing control. You know, Pilate even knew this. Pilate, for not being a believer, Pilate had some great discernment because Pilate said, I, I see your self-interest. I know that you have a scheme here. He, he knew that they weren't just trying things based on fact and truth, that they had an agenda because this is basically how things work in the world today. If you control the optics, the way things look, then you control the narrative. And if you control the narrative, you control what people think. And if you control what people think, you control what they fear. And if you can keep them in a place of fear, then you keep yourself in a place of power. That's what Satan was after. That's what the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the chief priests, and the elders of the people that's what they were after. They couldn't lose that power. So they had to continue to be in control. And to be in control, they have to control the narrative, what people think. But to control the narrative, they had to control the optics, the way things look. 
So they couldn't just let him die for the people. They couldn't just put him in a tomb and let happen what would happen. They couldn't just let the resurrection happen. They couldn't just let healings and deliverances and people being set free just happen. They had to try to control what people saw and what people thought so that they would not lose power. John chapter 8, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed, Yeshua said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But see, they didn't want the truth of the resurrection to spread because the resurrection would strip away all of the lies, all of the schemes, the plotting and the planning, the deception and the control that they had been using for several years to get to this moment. You see, if Yeshua just died for our sins and not resurrected, he would have been considered a great rabbi, maybe a prophet, a teacher, and maybe a martyr. But it it was the resurrection. You see, it was the resurrection that helps us to understand that he defeated death itself. We mentioned a phrase last week that the death of Yeshua defeated sin, right? But the resurrection of Yeshua defeated death, which is the last fear. And this death and resurrection combination sets us free from sin. That's the truth. It sets us free from bondage, addictions, a deprived and lower status in society. It sets us free from slavery and control, our oppressors. It sets us free from death and pain and guilt. It sets us free from our past, from fear, and from death itself. And Satan does not want people free any more than the religious leaders wanted the people free. You see, if the religious leaders wanted people truly to be free, they would have just let the truth be the truth. But they can't afford that. So they control the optics instead of revealing the truth. And they get that strategy straight from Satan himself, the father of lies, the angel of light, the one who tries to control what you see, to control what you think, to control the narrative, to control what you fear so that he can stay in a place of power. But it's the resurrection of Yeshua that sets us free from all of these things. Even from the worst and last fear that many people have, which is death itself. But during the resurrection, remember, this is where we understand that Yeshua defeated hell and death and he holds the keys to them, never to be feared again. For those of you that are already in Messiah Yeshua, I I pray that today has inspired you. It has reminded you of your first love. It has reminded you of the amazing life and sacrifice that Yeshua went through. And friends, how trustworthy he is that he does everything he said he was gonna do. That's what the Pharisees were afraid of, that he would do everything he said he would do, including rise from the dead, that he did everything the prophet said he would do. For those of you that are watching today, maybe you're not a believer yet in Messiah Yeshua. I challenge you, go read the text again. Look at the history. Put the puzzle pieces together. Look at the plotting, the lying, the scheming, the cover-up, the conspiracy. But also notice that all of the eyewitnesses, even his enemies and his betrayer, knew that Yeshua was innocent. Therefore, the innocence of Yeshua allowed him to be the spotless lamb that we needed to take away the sin of the world. And his resurrection bought us eternal life. I pray 
that as we now move into the Lord's Supper, that you can take these principles to heart today. Be encouraged. And let's take this time on this special day to connect with the Lord in a sensitive and intimate way. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Why don't you lead us now through the Lord's Supper. Say,